All right. Well, good morning. Uh, a few months ago, Owen, who's actually here this morning, super glad to see you. Uh, I know everybody else is too. Uh, Owen asked Jeff, uh, Jaron, Jim, and I to uh, take one Sunday uh, each, each week. Uh, there's only one Sunday a week uh, over the last month. Um, and we uh, and wanted us to, to, to preach and, uh, and just uh, give him the opportunity. Uh, and thank you guys for giving Owen the opportunity uh, to take a sabbatical the last month. I uh, haven't gotten the chance to talk through that yet, but I'm sure that uh, it was really good for Owen and his family. So uh, as we've been saying over the last uh, 30 minutes or so, uh, tomorrow kicks off uh, a day. It's kind of like our kickoff day, right, today for our children's um, and students' summer ministries. Um, tomorrow kicks off Vacation Bible School, as we said, um, where, as far as I know, uh, I'm sure the numbers are changing, but last time I talked to Courtney, we will have over 400 uh, kids, adults, and teenagers here on our campus uh, this week. So that's awesome. Yeah, that's a praise the Lord, right? Um, and, 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 and this, this, this week, VBS, is for the sole purpose of making sure this generation knows Jesus. Uh, that's why we do it. Uh, the next week, we have 25 students and three adults, like Jaron pointed out, who will be going to OBU for Super Summer for the sole purpose of making sure this generation knows Jesus and that these 25 students that go um, can, can be better equipped to make Jesus known. The week after that, we will have around 130 teenagers and adults um, heading to Falls Creek with the sole purpose of making sure this generation knows Jesus. And finally, the week after that, Courtney uh, will be taking about 55 kids and adult sponsors uh, down to Texas for, for kids camp for the sole purpose of making sure this generation knows Jesus. Um, that is what this, this team you saw up here uh, and our team as a whole, our staff, and our church as a whole, we want to make sure this generation knows Jesus. Um, these four weeks that we do, they take a lot of preparation. Uh, they take a lot of work. They take a ton of volunteers, as Courtney pointed out earlier with our few, with our few volunteers that were up here. Um, that's just a picture of, of how many volunteers we have. It takes everybody, right? It takes all of us together, uh, partnering together in the gospel, uh, to advance the kingdom of God together. Um, but summer is one of the most vivid, when I think about summer, it's one of the most vivid times in my life that I remember, um, not just like as a teenager, but like I remember the, going to the pool a lot, Westwood and Norman, that's where I spent my days in, as a kid in the summer. I remember vacation Bible school, I remember Falls Creek, but my life uh, was forever changed at vacation Bible school uh, as a third grader going into fourth grade um, when, when, I, when I heard the gospel and I put my faith in Jesus. So please, church, don't ever discount um, the massive work that God does at Vacation Bible School. Um, he, he does amazing things, and that's when I put my faith in Jesus. Uh, my life was changed again at Falls Creek in 2007 when I was called to ministry, and over and over and over again, summer has been a big part of my walk with the Lord as I've led summer student ministry for 12 years now. Ultimately, the number one reason we do what we do in the summer is so that this generation will know Jesus. That's what we do. That's why we do what we do in the summer. And while we do believe that, super, that summer is a supercharged time for spiritual growth in our kids and teenagers that we cannot miss out on, we cannot miss the next month and the opportunity that it provides. 
We want so much more for our kids and teenagers than just a month of God working in their lives. We want so much more than that. We want our kids and teenagers to look up and see a God who loves them and who loves their world. We want our kids and teenagers to look out at the world around them and see just how badly their friends and neighbors need Jesus. We want our kids and teenagers to look in at themselves and see how much they need Jesus, but also to see how much God wants to use them to make a difference in the problem that they see out there. I want our kids and teenagers to look up to God and to beg him to change the way, change the way things are in their generation, to change lives by the power of the gospel. And ultimately, that's not just a kid and teenager thing, is it? We want every person in our church to, to think in that way, to look up and see a God who loves them and loves their world, to look in and see, uh, see a God who loves them and wants to use them to change the, the way things are in the world and to look out and see the great need around them. Ultimately, we want that for everybody. It's easy for us to look at the statistic that a large majority of people who come to faith do so before they turn 18, and that's amazing. That's why we do what we do in student ministry and children's ministry. Um, But it's easy for us to look at that statistic and say, well, uh, we've got to pour all our eggs into this basket. Like, all of our eggs need to go into student ministry and children's ministry because if we don't get them now, we'll never get them again, right? But let me just say, how sad for us to, to look to think that way. Now, now, let me say this also as the student pastor at Emmaus Baptist Church. We want as many eggs in that basket as we can get, right? Like, we want to put a lot of eggs into the children's and youth ministry basket because it is a massive opportunity for us to reach this generation with the gospel. We've got to pour a ton of eggs into that basket, and we do. Um, But our children's and and youth ministries are not the only place where we can reach people with the gospel. Every single one of us in this room has been called to reach this generation, to reach your generation, to reach your neighborhood, to reach your family, and to reach the people around you. So we need to be on mission together. And how can we, right? How can we be on mission together? What are some of the things that would characterize us being on mission together, being about the gospel together? Well, I want to take us to Matthew chapter 9 this morning. Uh, We're going to look at just a few verses that I'm sure you've heard before. Um, I'm sure you've heard, many of you have heard probably 20, 30 sermons on this particular passage of Scripture. But I want us to look at this Scripture fresh this morning and to ask the question, how can we be on mission together? What does that look like? What does it look like for us to reach our people, the people around us, the people in front of us? And I want you to see that we kind of took the up, in, and out phrase and turned it around a little bit. So I I don't want to confuse anybody. I actually had multiple conversations this week with like Jaron and Courtney. I was like, is this going to confuse people about like up in and out? But I want you to understand we're taking it from from, from a perspective of what does up in and out have to do with us reaching this generation with the gospel? So let's look, let's start in Matthew chapter 9, uh, verse 35 through 36. It says this, okay, we're going to look in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 36. Jesus went through all the cities and all the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. And we'll continue through verse 38. Because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now let me ask this. So we're going back, our first point today is this. 
Look out and see the need. So when we're talking about what does it look like for us as the church to advance the gospel together, it takes every single one of us individually and also corporately looking out and seeing the need, right? Looking out and seeing people. Looking out. Our students hear me say this phrase frequently. There's multiple phrases. Well, we're going to start with this. I love you guys, right? They told me I had to say that. Some of them told me I had to say that from the stage because I say that a lot. Um, but they hear me say this phrase a lot, uh, get your eyes up, right? Like not all the time, but that's a phrase that I use quite a bit. Get your eyes up to see people, to see what's going on around you, right? And when we think about looking out and seeing the need, um, I think about uh, ultimately we all can think of a time in our lives when we've looked out, we've seen an issue or a problem in front of us, not necessarily a spiritual problem, um, but we just saw a problem. We wanted to fix it. Um, I think about my house a lot. There's a lot of problems in my house that I see on a regular basis. Anybody want to admit we all have that? Like there's a lot of piled up maintenance things that you're like, oh, I can do that. Uh, and then you kind of just let it go and let it go, right? So um, let's, let's be honest for a minute. I, I, want, I want a show of hands if you feel willing to do that. Last year, uh, or last week, uh, Jeff did the introvert extrovert thing um, and everybody raised their hands. So I thought I might as well have people raise their hands too. Let me ask this question. How many of you are the kind of people that you see a problem, like an issue in your house, and you automatically, immediately get it fixed? How many of you are that kind of person? You are just very on top of things. You want to have things as they are. You want to have things right and correct. Okay, we've got a few people in the room like that. How many of you are the type of people that let a bunch of problems pile up before you do anything about the problems? Anybody let a bunch of problems pile up? Okay. That's, that's, there's a lot of those in the room, right? Um, I think I'm somewhere in between when I think about my like, maintenance projects at my house. I'm the kind of person who sees a problem and jumps headlong into the problem only to find out, thinking it was going to take me an hour, only to find out three days later, it's going to take a little bit more effort. It's probably going to take a plumber or John Melton or, or somebody to come and help me figure things out, right? And then I get discouraged and I put it on the back burner and then... Uh, and then we just kind of wait, right? We just kind of let it sit. I also, if you know me really well, I like to save money. So I also try to do things on the cheap, not like, not like in a way that would sacrifice the integrity of the, you know, the, the project. Uh, but I like to do things on the cheap. So one example, we have four vents in our, in our living room and our, our, um, our dining room and kitchen uh, that we took the covers down about a year ago. Megan says it was a little over a year, probably more like 18 months. Um, I'm just going to go with a year. Um, and we plan to spray paint, we plan, and yeah, you can see there's some things there, right? Um, I plan to spray paint the, uh, the covers because a cover at Lowe's is like 20 bucks. If I'm going to buy four of them, that's $80, you know, like I can do all kinds of things with $80. So I bought a can of spray paint a year ago, 18 months ago, depending on how you look at it. Um, and I bought that can of spray paint with the intention that I was going to spray paint these uh, these covers and, and put them back on. They're still sitting in the garage or somewhere in our house. I'm not really sure. Um, and there are still empty gaping holes in my ceiling that I look at every single day. One of our students who I won't name was at my house at some point in the last year and said, why do you have holes in your ceiling? <laughs> and I said, he knows who he is. Uh, I said, uh, I said, well, that's, I don't remember what I said, but I basically said that's just because I haven't put the, the vents back up, right? So I think the reason I still have holes in my ceiling, I think the reason I still have holes in my ceiling is because I look at the problem every day, right? And I choose to ignore it. 
I, I mean, there's a lot of other things that are going on in my life that are more important than four holes in my ceiling, right? There's a lot of other things that I think about more regularly than four holes in my ceiling. So I choose to ignore the, that, that issue. Until I care enough about the four gaping holes in my ceiling, the problem will stay and I will continue to have people ask me why I have four gaping holes in my ceiling. Am I okay with that? Honestly, right now I am, that's okay. I'm okay with people coming over to my house and saying, why do you have four holes? But here's how that translates back into our uh, talk today. Look with me again at Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 36. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction when he saw the crowds. I want to stop right there. When he saw the crowds. Jesus was seeing the problem every single day. He has literally been going from town to town, city to city, and seeing just how much sin and destruction there is. He had his eyes open. He had his eyes up. He was where the people were. He saw things as they were. And the question for us is, do we not see this today? Do we not see the same things that Jesus saw? Or have we closed ourselves off from the world and we miss what is right in front of us? That's the question for us each today. Do I see things like Jesus sees them? Do I see my world the way Jesus sees it? Or have I closed my mind, closed myself off, and kind of ignored the four holes right in front of me, right? The question is, will we, will we spend our lifetimes looking at holes in our neighborhoods, our communities, our schools, and our homes, and not ask the question, what does God want me to do? If I could encourage you in three ways, this, these are three ways that we can answer that question. What does God want me to do? And there's probably a hundred other ways, but these are three options. I believe that all of you, every one of us in this room, has people in our life who need Jesus, have people in our life who need Jesus. You either work with them, you live with them, you go to school with them, you interact with them in some way. And my encouragement for you is to look them in the eye sometime and think about how much you care about them and ask the question, what does God want me to do? And I know many of you ask that question all the time. You have prodigal sons, prodigal daughters, people in your neighborhood, people in your life, and you look at them and you ask, what does God want me to do? And I imagine based on Jesus' example here, God wants you to see their need for him and not ignore it. The second thing is this. If you are somebody who does not interact with a lot of people who don't know Jesus, can I challenge you a little bit? Whatever it takes, we've got to look at Jesus' life and we've got to reorient our life to be more like him. Jesus, his example here is of somebody who was among the people and who saw the people. It is going to look different in everyone's lives. Every single one of us works in different places. We play in different places. We have family in different places. And ultimately, that's good, right? We have over 600 people or some in this room that, that have diff, touch, different touch points all over this, this, this county and, and different cities and different places, right? And that's good. So it's going to look different for everyone, but, but find a way to be around people who don't know Jesus, one of the easiest ways to do this, invite people to your home for dinner. That causes me anxiety because our home's a mess all the time. We have three little kids, right? But invite people into your home for dinner, games, swimming, whatever it is. Use your resources to be around people who don't know Jesus. I can't give you the answer of what that looks like for you, but ask the question, what does God want me to do? 
And then the last way to answer this question, what does God want me to do? A final way that every single one of us has to answer this question is this. Do I know God personally, and have I given him my life? I want you to know that the greatest need you have is to know Jesus. And when Jesus sees those who do not know him, when Jesus sees those who do not follow him, he sees people, as are described here, as harassed and helpless. Without God in your life, we are harassed and helpless. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know every single person's story in this room, but I know what it feels like to be harassed and helpless in life. And I want to encourage you. God wants you today. God wants you to follow him today. If you don't know Jesus, come talk to us. Come talk to me. Come talk to Owen, somebody, somebody here that you trust that, that follows the Lord, and ask them, how can I know Jesus today? And I, I guarantee you they'd be excited to share it with you. The next point we see is this. Uh, we see, so we started with the out, look out and see the need. The next thing we see is look in and feel compassion. Look back in verse 36. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Ultimately, I don't think it is all that difficult for us to see the desperate need in our world today. Uh, I'd say most of us see it every single day. Just like I look at my four vent holes every single day, there's a desperate need for me to uh, spray paint those vent holes or the, the vents and, and recover them. But Jesus didn't just go through the towns and villages and look at people, right? He didn't just go through the towns and villages and see the people. He did that. That's the first step. He looked out and saw the need. But he didn't just stop there. Matthew 9:36 says he saw them and he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now let's think about that phrase. And in church, we hear the word sheep and shepherd all the time. But I want us to go back Ask the question, what does a sheep without a shepherd look like? A sheep without a shepherd's prone to wander off. And when one sheep wanders off, usually other sheep wander off. A sheep without a shepherd has a hard time finding pasture and finding water, finding the basic needs of life. So when we're talking about being harassed and helpless without Jesus, this is what it means, not having the things we need in life. Without a shepherd, uh, sheep are open to attack from predators, right? Uh, open to attack from the things in this world. Without a shepherd to shear their wool, sheep are prone to infestation. And by the way, I, I know for a fact that they're listening to us on our phones because I've been talking about sheep this week and I've had so many sheep coming up on my phone, like the big sheep that had the big, you know, wool issue. I saw that like three times on, like, on, on Facebook. Um, I mean, we already knew that by now, but it's just a reminder. We are watching you, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but a sheep that doesn't have a shepherd's prone to all these things, all of these difficulties, all of these things that are going to weigh it down, that are going to tear it down, that are going to lead it into paths of destruction. Needless to say, when Jesus looks at the people and sees them as a sheep without a shepherd, it's a very big deal. We can get, we can get the sheep and shepherd language in church all the time and just kind of get used to it. Sheep without a shepherd. It's just what we, the way we say things, right? But it's a very big deal. It's not a small thing. I pray that even though we might be used to sheep and shepherd language, we would never get used to the utter reality that people are living and dying without Jesus. I pray that our hearts would never get used to that, that it would never be okay for us that we see people that don't know the Lord, that we would begin to have a holy discontent with the way things are. They are literally living and dying without a shepherd. I believe the compassion that Jesus had for these people 
came from a holy discontent with the way things were. I pray that when we see those people, when we see the people around us, our neighbors, our family, our friends, that we see them the way Jesus sees them. And when we see people the way Jesus sees them, and when we look into our hearts and we feel compassion and we have compassion on the people that don't know the Lord and we see them that way, it leads us to do this last thing that Jesus told his disciples to do. Uh, Let's go to our next point. Look up and beg God. Look up and beg God. Now, we don't always like the word beg, but I I believe that's a really good uh, picture of what Jesus says when he says, pray earnestly. Pray like your life depends on it. Like pray hard. Look up and beg God. Let's look in verse 37 through 38. It says, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So we've started with look out and see the need. We, we come to look in and see and feel compassion for the fact that these people around us, our family, our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, don't know God. We feel compassion for them like Jesus did. But those things, looking out and looking in, are going to lead us to do one last thing. And it's going to be looking up and begging God to do something. Begging God to change the way things are. To change the picture. The holy discontent that we talk about, that we talked about a minute ago, leads us to see that, that God wants things to be different. God desires that all men would come to, to the knowledge of the truth and, and know him. After looking out at all these people who are in need of a Savior, what, what did Jesus ask for? What did Jesus ask for when he looked out and saw crowds and throngs of people that didn't have a shepherd? He simply asked God to do what only God could do, send out laborers. Now, he, he didn't ask God to send down manna from heaven. God's done that, right? But he didn't ask for that. He didn't say, God, just send down a sign, manna from heaven. He didn't ask God to send a pillar of fire or smoke, though God has done that. He didn't ask God to part the Red Sea, though we know God has done that. He didn't ask for anything that would seem miraculous to them, though if you look at the chapters preceding this, Jesus has constantly been doing all of these miracles and healing people and doing all these big things that show the kingdom of God, right? He's been doing miraculous things, but he didn't ask in this specific instance, he didn't say, God, just do something big. Do something amazing. Fire from heaven. Do something like that. What did he ask for? No, in the face of a massive undertaking of most likely thousands and thousands and thousands of people to reach with the gospel, Jesus prayed that God would send out more laborers. That's what Jesus asked for. He said, you guys, disciples, my 12 people, my other people around here, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out laborers into the harvest. So I heard a metaphor once that that helped me to see just what Jesus is telling us to do here. Um, Think about when you're at the store with your kids. Um, You can go and put that next picture up there. Think about when you're at the store with your kids and you see you're you're in the the checkout aisle, you're in the checkout lane, right? And um, you see all the stuff, right? They have all the things out there for your kid to ask you to get, right? It's there for that purpose. It's there for you to either make a really bad decision and get like whatever Pepsi product or Doritos or little $5 toys. You know, they have all kinds of stuff there for for your kids to beg you for, right? 
for me as a kid, when I was, there it is, there's our, there's our picture. If you didn't know what I was talking about, if you've never been to the store before, um, <laughs> there's, a, uh, there's all kinds of goodies that you can choose from. And on the other side, there's little trinkets and stuff, right? But it's, you know why it's there. Every store has it. But for me as a kid, it was in the Super C Mart in Noble, Oklahoma. Uh, I'd walk up in there with my mom. And I, I vividly remember this. I actually called my mom last night, and I was like, do you have any other examples of things that I begged for? Oh, you didn't beg. You were just a perfect little... No, I begged. She doesn't remember it. And we ask our parents all the time, like, what did we do wrong? And they're like, you didn't do anything wrong. We're like, we need you to tell us that we were bad so that we can feel better. You know, like, everybody messes up, right? Um, but, but she couldn't remember. But I remembered... Uh, I vividly remember walking through that checkout line and always wanting the Fruit Stripes gum which is our next picture if you don't know what Fruit Stripes gum is. It's delicious. It lasts for about 10 seconds. But <laughs> Fruit Stripes, five juicy flavors. You take the Fruit Stripe gum, you lick the, the wrapper, and you put a little tattoo of whatever's on there. Oh, man, that was like the pinnacle of, like, awesomeness back in the day. So I always remember begging for that, the, those Fruit Stripes gum. I loved the stuff, right? And I would beg and beg and beg to get it. Sometimes I would succeed... Sometimes I wouldn't, uh, but I know my mom always loved giving it to me when she did. Sometimes it, we, I didn't need gum, right? We have gum at home. Anybody ever heard that before? Right, right. I didn't necessarily need the gum, but when my mom got it for me, I always knew that she loved giving it to me, and I loved receiving it. The idea of praying earnestly here is literally the idea of begging God to do something to change the way things are. God, please, pleading with God begging God as his child that he would change the way things are and that he would do so by sending out more people to get the job done. The way a child begs you for the candy or the toy at the store because it's something they really want and it's something sometimes you want to give them, right? Like you, you're, as a parent, you want to give your child good things. God wants to do the same for us. He wants to give us good things. And when we ask for more laborers, he will deliver. So here's what I want to do. We're going to take two minutes. I want you and I should have given you a warning, but I want you guys, we're going to do this. We're going to ask God to send out more laborers right now. We're going to get into groups of three, four, family groups, whatever you want to do. We're going to take a couple minutes, and I want you to, to, to spend a couple minutes praying, God, please, whatever it's going to take for us to reach this generation, whatever it's going to take for, for me personally to reach my neighbor, send out more laborers. So let's take some time right now. Get in groups, get in your family groups, and spend some time praying that God would send out more laborers into the harvest.
God, as people continue to pray around the room and ask for this in Jesus' name, for you to send out more people, more laborers to reach this generation, to reach our neighbors and our co-workers and more people to reach students, more students to reach their schools, more people to reach their families. God, we, we are asking this because we genuinely have compassion and care about the people around us and we love them and we don't want to see them as sheep without a shepherd. We see them as they are, God, people that need you, but we want to see them as people who know you. So God, I pray that you would send out more people more laborers into the harvest, that you would do whatever, that we would do whatever it takes based on your strength and your power to reach the people that we're thinking about in our lives. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. The last thing we're going to do, our last point is this, look in the mirror and see the solution. Now, I think everybody knows how to take a selfie at this point, but I'm not sure. So we're going to teach you this morning. You take your phone out. Everybody get your phone out. Yeah, you're allowed to. It's okay. Take your phone out, and I want you to take a selfie. I'm going to take one with you guys, okay? Take a selfie. Real fast. Everybody take a selfie in church. Okay. A selfie. That means you take a picture of yourself, all right? If you don't know how to do a selfie, if you've got a mirror, whatever you can do. Now pull that picture up on your phone after you've taken the selfie. Pull the picture up. Look at it. How's God going to deliver on the prayer that you just asked? He wants to deliver. He wants to give you good things. He wants to do what you've asked of him. Well, he delivers by showing us the solution. This is how God delivers. Go to, go to chapter 10, verse 1. It says, And Jesus called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. And then he gives the names of the 12 apostles, the people who he was just talking to. Guys, he's talking to his disciples. He says, Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest, into his harvest. And then he says, all right, guys, here we go. You're the laborers. You just prayed that prayer. You just asked us today. You just asked God to deliver, for God to send out laborers into the harvest, to reach this generation, to reach our neighbors, to reach our coworkers, to reach our friends and our family. But how's he going to deliver? Look at that selfie right now. Don't you look good, right? I don't know. I think you all look good. Look in your eyes, in the selfie. I know it's weird. Embrace the awkward. And look at yourself and see the solution. God has put you where you are today, in your family, in your work, in your school, in your place, because you are the ones that he's going to use to reach your family, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors with the gospel. The one who prays, don't be praying too much unless, you're, unless you want God to do something, right? Yes, we want you to pray. I shouldn't say that. Don't be praying. You should be praying. But don't be praying too much unless you got, want God to do something, okay? Because when you pray, God will do something, and he's going to use you. He wants to use you. He wants to, to make you the solution for this problem that you see in your world today. As we close here in a minute, we're going to sing a song about making much of Jesus here in a little bit after we do a couple things. May we pray that much would be made of Jesus in our own lives, and may we make much of him by passing on the gospel through the use of all of our time, all of our treasures, and all of our talents to the glory, glory of God. May we use everything we have for this one massive mission 
knowing that God overcomes sin and changes lives. Let's pray. God, you are awesome. You are amazing. You are great, as we've sung this morning. And God, you will deliver on your promises. You will reach this generation, God. You will change lives. You will save people from their sins. And God, you're going to do it this week at Vacation Bible School. We're believing that and we're praying for that. We're believing and praying that you're going to do it at Falls Creek and and Kids Camp and all summer. But God, let us not put all of our eggs into this basket. It's a big basket and we love this, this June basket of Falls Creek and VBS and it's amazing and we're thankful for it. But let us put our eggs in all the baskets. God, let us go through this through our lives and our, and our days and our, our work and our schools and, and put our eggs in those baskets, God. Let us pray earnestly that you would send out more laborers and let us see that we are the ones you send out. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.